हेलो एवरीवन एंड वेलकम टू अवंतिका डिजाइनरिंग सीरीज और एडीएस एस वी लाइक टू कॉल इट एवरी वीक ऑन वेडनेसडे वी फीचर डिजाइन एंड टेक्नोलॉजी लीडर्स हु शेयर द प्रोफेशनल जर्नी दर थॉट्स ऑन द डोमेन ऑफ वर्क एंड डिजाइनरिंग वेयर द वर्ल्ड ऑफ डिजाइन एंड इंजीनियरिंग मीट मेक श्योर यू फॉलोअर्स ऑन सोशल मीडिया इंस्टाग्राम लिंकड इन फेसबुक एंड ट्विटर एंड विद दैट लेट्स कंटिन्यू विद योर शो एट दार्ट ऑफ इट डिजाइन थिंकिंग is all about creating innovative and inclusive solutions that solve real world problems faced by users but in an ever changing market creating solutions that cater to a diverse set of audiences needs consistent and solid customer research it can help designers gain a deeper understanding of the problems and identify all the obstacles they might face during the design process so how can designers create inclusive and complete solutions that fulfill the needs of the users to know more about this theme in this episode we interact with saurav sarkar head of design at airtel with over a decade of experience leading and managing design teams and delivering innovative solutions a large part of his work revolves dealing with internal teams and the end customer along with accessible leadership and a customer centric design thinking approach he also holds expertise in user centered design interaction design user interface design and much more and that's why on our journey of discovering designering we talk to him about design thinking innovation and beyond Hello Saurav and welcome to Avantika Designering series it's a pleasure and honor for us to host you on our show today it's indeed a pleasure to be here today uh, Rohit and a very good afternoon to you super so Saurav let's start with an ice breaker question mm-hmm. collaboration insight issue solving construction and testing based on human centered design may be used to summarize design thinking the influence of design thinking is more of a mentality than a process it's not necessarily about trying something entirely new um but i think it's about doing things in a way that works best for you right now the question that i have for you as an ice breaker sorrow is how can designers adapt and induce this approach in their design journey got it rohit uh, rohit you are really right right but uh, you summarized it quite well but let me just take one step back break it down design thinking is a lot about questioning any assumptions right and biases by really really getting close to whom you are designing for and by using that knowledge you reframe the problem you test the solutions early and then you iterate on it um before we jump to this uh, question i think it's important to understand that most people know the hasso platner institute of design model of design thinking right which is something that we very lovingly call empathize define ideate prototype and test now interestingly it's very important that understanding each of these verbs is key to design thinking and not necessarily the sequence right because each of them separately is a skill that designers must learn and get fluent in it's not necessarily linear and they do not need to follow in a specific order they can often 
you know, occur in parallel and they will repeat iteratively. So I think this is a very important thing that designers, especially starters need to understand, right? It's not necessarily a linear process. At the end of the day, design thinking, it's a tool. It's a framework that provides a human-centered way of solving problems. And since it gives such desirable results in most cases, not only designers, but all great innovators in literature, art, science, engineering, business, just name it, right? They have practiced it. It's a tool for innovation. And interestingly, innovation doesn't necessarily need only to be revolutionary, right? It can also be evolutionary. Um, I believe it's useful in tackling problems that are not only new, unknown or ill-defined, ill but also existing or seemingly well-defined, right? Um, Robert Ford, for example, said, if I were to ask uh, my customers, what would they rather have? They would say, we need faster horses, right? And I think that very beautifully goes ahead to say how an existing predisposition might actually be argued and attributed to design thinking. Well, that's really well said and well summarized, uh, Saurav, and, and it's an interesting icebreaker there. You know, moving from the design thinking uh, context that we are setting to, you know, your personal journey, having an experience of nearly a decade in the design industry, moving from designing for the service industry to products, having worked in B2B enterprises apps to top-rated entertainment services, at this juncture, the journey only seems to continue. We would like to hear about your professional journey. How has all these past years been and uh, how has it uh, shaped over the period of years? Sure, Roy. Thank you so much. Um, really pleasant memories, right? Because they say if you really choose a job you love, you won't have to work another day. And uh, just to rectify it a little bit, to set the record straight, it's 11 years. And the, the reason I'm finicky about it one extra year is because how much I have learned over the last one year, right? And this is one job that kind of keeps giving. This started back in 2010, and uh, I graduated with my bachelor's in industrial and communication design from IIT Guwahati. And quite uh, after a little bit of depression in the market, we got placed into Cognizant Technology Solutions. And I was working in Calcutta for about uh, three and a half years, almost four years. I think that's where I got to expose myself to all the intricacies and complexities um, that I was not able to obviously tackle in my academics, right? This meant a lot of uh, understanding of very complex scenarios, business problems that customers had, and how do you rationalize each of them and bring them to um, interfaces right in front of them, right? It was quite a lot of interfaces at that particular point of time, but it was... Um, a lot of enterprise-based interfaces and problem statements. I think at that particular point of time, within two years, I uh, just by sheer luck ended up taking care of 14 people in my team. And uh, they were amazing designers, starters in the field, people from psychology, economics, and uh, you know a great bunch of people, right? We, we worked together, we learned together. And then after a point of time, I felt, you know, it's time to understand the international market a little closer. That's when in 2014, I moved uh, to Sapient. And this was Sapient Nitro at that point of time. Um, here, I ended up working with a lot of clients, not just in the um, off, uh, offshore model, but also I used to go visit them, work alongside them. And it was a whole new treat, you know, getting to know their culture, the differences, their perspectives, and their complexities. 
Um, I did that for almost about uh, five years. And that's when the knack, the little thing that I had in my head that I need to get the other side of the flavor, which was a product organization kind of kicked in. And I joined Airtel back in 2019. And since then I have been here and it's just been a complete coin flip, I would say. And uh, product very, very, very different from uh, service as uh, well as um, consulting, right? So that's been a professional journey. Um, I would say it's been extremely rich and I just look forward to diversifying it in the future. Wow, Saurabh. And was it as simple as it looks on your LinkedIn profile today or while, uh, you know, someone introduces uh, you on stage or was it filled with a lot of bumpy rides, uh, maybe some failures, uh, some setbacks and, and then you came back? How, how smooth was the ride? Actually, Rohit, that's a very interesting question, right? And uh, I, I wouldn't want to get all high and mighty, but it was actually a very smooth ride for me. Um, I think a few pivotal decisions, I, I moved quite smoothly, but a few pivotal decisions happened in my mind rather than in the market, right? For example, when I moved from Cognizant, it was because I felt I had probably started managing people far too early. So it was a struggle against myself, right? Uh, when I moved from Sapient, it was because I had saturated myself with the model of work and I wanted to really see the outcome of my work uh, tangibly, right? I wanted to really babysit a product and see how it grows and how do you conceive it. For me, I believe that it was not as much about the goal or the next or the struggle uh, of it as it was what I felt that could be uh, possible for me. And that's why I just went ahead with a knack. And luckily, very, very luckily, I met the right people. Um, I met amazing people who went ahead and put their trust on me and said, sort of, yes, we believe you can do this, right? Um, there were obviously major uh, watershed moments for me. For example, even this position at Airtel, I would believe that I was actually quite disputed in my head whether I should take it because it's a humongous team of 50, 60 people. But I spoke with uh, my leader and we agreed that we would do it one day at a time, right? So that's what I'm doing out here. And I believe it's been amazing. Uh, it's been far more smooth sailing than a lot of people's careers are. But I definitely am not averse to the diversity that most people have, the ups and downs have when they progress in their career. Because I believe in design, the more you undulate, the better the perspectives you get and you grow better as a designer, right? I'm really, really jealous of those people who have been there and done that. I am sure I, I, I get that. But but hey, it's, it's, it's very interesting to know the kind of smooth journey that you've had. Uh, you know, one of the interesting points that you touched upon was talking about managing team. I mean, mm -hmm. understanding regional communities and building a solid consumer research approach is essential for more inclusive goods. While you had a team of such aspiring designers, if our design teams do not reflect the communities for whom they are designed, we have a significant problem. The question that I have for you there, Saurabh, is how can you as a designer managing a team or a design leader untangle issues of inclusion and diversity while also promoting an inclusive environment? All right, Rohit, I believe that's probably one of the most fantastic questions I have never been asked really. And, uh, you know, with June having just gone by the month of inclusion, right? It's a very, very pertinent question. It's a very dear question to me. Um, 
you know, it's, it's quite interesting. It's interesting how passionately design and designers talk about empathy and listening to the user and how often we as designers fail to walk this talk when it <laughs> comes down to our own teams and coworkers, right? But really, if I have to answer this question, let me break, break it down into three smaller parts. First, in the context of Airtel, it's really simple, right? We are fiercely meritocratic and diversity is not just a window dressing we show to the world. I mean, um, it's not as if we put a badge on our shoulders and say, hey, you know, that's it, we're diverse. Um, we do not really talk about it. We're not an organization that brags. And that is something that actually trickles down to the design team. We make sure that the right talent is given equal opportunity, notwithstanding other factors, say, for example, caste, culture, gender, age, physical disabilities, and even sexual preferences, right? And I'm proud to say, very proud to say indeed that our team is extremely well represented across each of these aspects. So that's the first aspect I would say. Um, secondly, I think we're a very candid organization, Rohit. We, we keep our feedback channels open. Uh, there is mutual trust, and this is uh, very important because you cannot give the right feedback, the right kind of feedback until you have set up the mutual trust, of course. The idea is to create an environment where people are not really afraid to voice out what they feel, right, and how they may work. And I, I believe that's very important. You cannot simply hire people, um, an inclusive set of people, and then not give them the right opportunity or the podium to speak out. Finally, I believe as designers, we need to stop using uh, very, very inclined uh, pronouns like he and him, right, while defining our users and our journeys. And we need to switch to they, them instead, if possible. And there have been times, uh, people will actually complain about it probably, there have been times when someone, a product manager, a business leader might have said, or even a designer might have said, he taps on this button, right? And I might have interrupted them and said, they click on this button or she clicks on this button. I believe provocation is really necessary and uh, very, let me not just, uh, you know, be the drum out here. I would say, you are more than welcome to go and speak to my team to understand this better because I think they would be able to give you a much better answer than I can. Hey, did you know Airtel recently introduced Airtel Black, India's first all-in-one home solution. This allows the client to a single bill, a single customer care number with a dedicated staff of relationship manager and priority fault and issue resolution. This demonstrates Airtel's commitment to improving the user experience with a host of industry-first features. I'm, I'm quite sure about it, Saurav, and uh, leaders like you absolutely achieve the kind of titles and the designations and the uh, uh, platforms because of the kind of skill sets that you have in terms of leading large teams uh, to success. And uh, while we've been doing this podcast in such a long time, whenever we speak to any of the design leaders over a period of time, we realize that, hey, it's not about designing. It's about how well actually you can work with people. Uh, you could, uh, you know, extract their potential in terms of designing and do well and grow. And 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 all uh, you design leaders are actually great at that. Thank you. This goes out to all of them, really. <laughs> so talking about the same theme, I would want to, you know, also bring in another element here, Saurav, and that is about data. It is exciting to say nowadays that data is the new oil, and I'm sure at Airtel, you understand it much better than absolutely anyone else out there. <laughs> but we have to consider why this statement appears to be true 
because without the right usage of data, it is completely useless. A design is regarded as a good design when it's goal-oriented and based on insight from data and not just random guesswork, and I'm, I'm sure about that. The question that I have for you, Saurabh, there is how can designers use data to drive discussions, solve disagreements as a product team, and evaluate quantitative and qualitative data? Rohit, uh, again, you know, I'm so glad about these questions and really, really pertinent questions given where we are today, right? So let me just, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a mixed bag from my side. So let me set a little bit of a context, right? Um, Etel, you rightly said, data is really our oil our network for us. And today, I think we have uh, the total customer base that we used to have and given today, it's about 600 million plus, right? If you really look at it, we deal with 280 million plus digital identities, right? And there are almost about 1 billion plus touch points captured every single day on Airtel properties. And this leads to about 10 billion plus customer attributes captured daily. That's just mind staggering, right? And we have about 5 billion plus worth of daily transactions that kind of happen. The reason I'm telling you this is because it's so easy to kind of get bogged down by all of this. And that's why I would say, like how you say, I love the way you phrased it. It appears to be true because that's exactly the accurate way of putting it, right? Data is a tool and like most tools, it can be manipulated. About the usage of data, let me break this down into two parts, right? Uh, because we need to, for design, we need to balance data and creativity. So the first point on how to use data, definitely it's a truth when we say what gets measured gets done. When you bring numbers, you end up speaking the vernacular of the apparent decision makers, right? whether it be the business, your clients, product managers, business analysts, etc., And you'll often find more meaning if you see your solutions provide tangible outcomes that are represented through numbers. Because who disputes numbers, right? However, it's very, very easy to get dragged down into analysis paralysis and vanity metrics, right? So you really got to ask if a particular thing that you're measuring, a particular metric, whether it can lead to a course of action or inform a decision, that's the kind of thing you want to really measure. That's where your data is really helpful, right? If it is not, get an actionable metric to work on. Focus on tangible observations. Qualitative data is useful and will very often give you the what, right? But it's only through qualitative observation you'd be able to find out the real why behind it. So that's the first part on how to use data. For designers, interesting breed, right? Left brain, right brain, science, humanities, we are kind of at the cusp of the two, right? For designers, it's important to balance data with creativity. And we often, as designers, tend to over-index on data as well. And death by data is actually quite real because most designers will try too hard to incorporate data. Use it, but then go beyond it. Talk to the people. In design, the whole is definitely more than the sum of its parts. And you have really got to be in close touch with the people you're designing for. And data cannot compensate for that. Wow, absolutely well said, Sado. And while we've been talking about data, uh, and 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 as I started the uh, you know conversation, let's let's not uh, you know miss out that entire important element of talking about Airtel. Mm-hmm. Airtel is one of the leading telecoms and converged uh, services providers in India with more than a quarter of the market share. Design at Airtel touches the very fabric of these hundreds of millions of customers daily with an ever-changing market and a diverse audience 
whose habits keep shifting rapidly. Change is the only constant that we can depend on. What I wish to know from you, Saurav, is how do you embrace this fact and truly design at scale at Airtel? Isn't that a very unique, large challenge that you and your design team faces almost on a daily level basis? And 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 how do you sail through it successfully? So, um, <laughs> um, loving this question, Rohit. I think. The very first doormat that I would put out here is when you really design for everyone, you design for no one, right? Because design, by the very definition, is about focus. It's about, obviously, it's a lot about inclusion. It's a lot about taking the fringes into consideration, but you really have got to focus. You have got to cut and dice, right? So I think the very first uh, thing, there is a great thing that happens in Airtel is we do have a very, very strong, probably one of the best marketing teams in India, right? And very frankly, they do a lot of the job on our behalf. Uh, they are the people who keep churning data, consumer insights on a daily basis. Uh, they inform what the pricing point should be. They inform what our customers um, are looking for and how their tastes and preferences are changing over days and weeks and months and years, right? So we do have um, a treasure trove to work with. That's the first submission, right? Now, when it comes to design, I believe Airtel is in a phase of uh, evolution, right? Even though as the whole uh, industry is revolutionizing, I believe we're trying to just be better than ourselves than we are one day back, right? And that's where we start with the best practices, the things that need to be in place from a hygiene perspective, right? For example, what are the right sizes uh, for devices that we're designing for? What are the right customer journeys so that we can save the time? And what are the best practices around that, number one? Number two, we really talk to the people, right? Like I said, we get the treasure trove of data and information from our marketing team, from our data team, from an analytics team. And on top of that, we go ahead and talk to people. So user research becomes an important aspect. And while we're doing user research, we make sure that we target the right cohort of people, right? It cannot be... Uh, that you are trying to research for every single person. So we start with the hypothesis and we go from there. Um, third, I believe whenever we do a particular product, it's very important that you test out early and fail early if possible, right? So we definitely go for a phase-wise rollout and even rollbacks if necessary. For example, we just launched Airtel Black. Um, now, interestingly, it's a little bit of an affluent um, proposition, right? You bundle all your services together, pay a single bill. But it's convenient, but at the same time, it also is a large bill at the end of the month, possibly. So what we did was we went ahead with Metro and Tier 1 cities. And then as in when we find more confidence basis research and data, we are going to Tier 2, Tier 3, etc. So you see how rollouts can be really interesting in this particular perspective. And finally, I believe not having a one solution fits approach, uh, fits all approach is quite important for us, right? Uh, it's, it's very interesting how a lot of people will create a product for tier one and then they will try to just water it down for tier two, tier three. Um, and that doesn't work. Like It's like saying that a kid's toothbrush is simply a miniature version of an adult's toothbrush. That's seriously not true. <laughs> and therefore, <laughs> yeah. That's and, a and lovely therefore, example. <laughs> yeah, and you should read the IDEO, the IDEO case study on kid's toothbrush, right? The way they hold it is very different. But it's a, it's a dear story to me, but that really tells you that you cannot really 
start with a mindset and then midway you are like, oh, you know what, we need to scale this out. You really need to think about it ground up. And therefore, if you think about things like the Airtel Thanks app, right, we are very clear that Airtel Thanks app is not for the rickshawala or the autowala yet. But we also created a light app, which is something that would, uh, you know, really clear you of data and, you know, be really useful for you. So I think that perspective is very important. One solution does not fit all. Absolutely well said, uh, uh, Saurav. And while we've spoken about your professional journey and a lot of conversation around Airtel, let's deep dive into the world of design and take some of your perspective uh, with respect to design. While the incentive for developing a new product or feature stems from market demand, the flip side of the coin is that it provides a competitive advantage to a firm. The question that I have for you is how can designers utilize corporate language and communication skills to build great relationships and advance a concept with all stakeholders? I'll keep this short because it's actually quite simple, right? I already talked about empathy. So empathize, empathize with your partners to start with, whom you're working with. Really, communication is the the heart of being a designer, right? Because if we cannot communicate our thoughts, our expectations, our feelings, it kind of becomes troublesome. And when you were working with your partners, learn their vernacular. We talked about data, we talked about numbers, and then definitely go ahead and listen, right? Um, and often in a lot of organizations, you'll need to evangelize and teach how to give and take design feedback. Remember, it's a two-way street. You have also sometimes got to teach them, right? Because most people do not really understand what feedback means. It simply feels like criticizing and, uh, you know, you've got to teach them. Uh, I would highly recommend this book by O'Reilly called uh, Articulating Design Decisions. Uh, it's been highly effective, at least for my formative years. And I think it will be very effective for new designers as well. Wow, absolutely well said, Saurabh. And moving further, designers essentially employ all available information while attempting to establish a correct knowledge of the situation. Mm-hmm. In fact, it helps to identify the obstacles that must be overcome to get the intended conclusions, which is economical in the end. What I wish to know from you, Saurav, is how can this be used to raise awareness and encourage designers to act early to create the right frameworks that balance the needs of humans and businesses? Um, this this is very important, right? And I think this kind of stems from the previous question also, speaking in the vernacular of people who seemingly make the decisions, right? Um, most most of, uh, you know, the designers out there would know the holy, t- holy trinity of, you know, viability, desirability, and feasibility, right? And I think while designers talk a lot about desirability, viability and feasibility are something that we often kind of miss out on, especially ones who are starting out in the field. Remember, Viability is what will fit the market. Feasibility is what can be built. Definitely talk to your product engineering business partners to know what is it that they can really build and what might really fit the market gap out there, right? Constraints are really your friends and context is the king. Content is your queen. Do not work with placeholders, please. And I think once you start asking for these things, you will see that there's a lot more confidence uh, when it comes to selling your decisions. I would highly recommend that designers understand business and value proposition canvases and maybe even the lean UX canvas, right? These are very effective ways of articulating decisions from a value perspective and when it comes to cost bearing. Absolutely well said. In fact, 
One of the other things that I wanted your perspective on is bridging the gaps sort of between the offline and the online world. Customers increasingly want interactions to be straightforward and seamlessly integrated between physical and digital touch points across all domains. Mm-hmm. In fact, we must realize that customer experience is about generating cutting-edge online experiences as well as synthesis of experiences from many media. Mm-hmm. What I wish to know is how can designers connect online and offline channels to provide a consistent and complete experience across all touch points. So Rohit, what you said is used verbatim while creating a few tools and methodologies, right? And this is where uh, if designers are starting with a holistic idea of a customer, there are three specific tools and uh, ways and methodologies that allow for you to do that. The first is customer journey mapping, second are service blueprints, and third are 360 degree models, right? Go ahead, read about any of them, And they really need for you to go out, talk to the customer, understand the channels in which they operate and touch your business and finally form a very holistic idea of, uh, you know, their pains and gains and whatnots, right? So I would deeply urge for fresh designers to go about, read about these, and this should be really helpful. Absolutely. You know, when designing user experiences, Saurabh, for new technologies, success or failure often centers on conceptualizing and designing the product. The backgrounds, life experiences, viewpoints, and perspectives of designers help deliver well-rounded solutions that may support the user personas. Mm -hmm. What we wish to know is what are your views on this and how can we incorporate this in the conceptualization and implementation Mm -hmm. phases? Got it, Rohit. Um, Ruhit, I strongly believe that designers need to have a point of view, right? But my choice of words is very, very deliberate. It's a point of view. Because as designers, we could feel impassioned by the product we're creating, but at the end of the day, we're at the mercy of what the customers really feel and think and do and say, right? So being impassioned by the product while designing it, that's not truly for you. It can lead to serious biases and it can be really dangerous, right, to your bottom line. It's important to find meaning in what you design, but never forget to really break out of the eco chamber and get other people into the process to validate whether your thoughts are misplaced or they're absolutely accurate, right? So POV, all fantastic, break out of the eco chamber is what I would say. Hey, did you know Airtel recently announced a collaboration with Intel for 5G network development by leveraging VRAN or ORAN technologies. The collaboration is a part of Airtel's 5G roadmap for India as it transforms its network to allow its customers to reap the full possibilities of the hyper-connected world. Airtel is also the first telecom operator in India to demonstrate 5G over a live network and is conducting 5G trials in major cities. Wow, interesting. And let's move to another interesting trending area, that of gestures. Mm -hmm. Gestures, whether touch or touchless, are an essential aspect of interaction design today. They lack visual representation and rely on users' memory and learning. There is an 
infinite number of imaginative scenarios in which these gestures might be beneficial. Mm-hmm. What I wish to know from you, can you tell us more about the usability of these gestures and how we can ensure that our future generation of gesture-based interaction feels human and natural? Sure, Rohit. Um, it's a vast topic, right? I mean, call it ubiquitous computing, pervasive computing, uh, embedded interfaces, interaction design, all of it, right? So they speak deeply in terms of what you just said, but I'll just try and uh, you know provide a human aspect to it, right? Humans have evolved, let, let's face it. Um, we are very akin to artificial selection also. And um, things like games, alternate realities, pervasive computing, they have all led for us to make movements that were uh, earlier not even heard of or thought about, right? Swiping, for example, is no more obscure, nor is the double tap, right? Designs really can change behavior, human behavior. Uh, The interesting bit is myths still exist, right? People still think that customers don't scroll. Well, let's break it out for you. People do actually scroll if you have something valuable provided to them, right? And people don't really mind tapping to go to deeper screen if they know where they're going and whether each screen is giving them incremental value. Um, But still having said that, test is what I would say because anthropometrically speaking, there are still places or screens that have reached no reach areas on your thumb. They're left-handed, right-handed people. There are still people who are impaired with their motor functions and so on and so forth, right? So while gestures, I love gestures personally, I also believe they come with their own set of restrictions. They come with their own set of considerations, Rohit. Absolutely, and couldn't agree more. And while we've been talking about gestures and you know the other elements in the world of design, let's add to all of this the dash of technology. Mm-hmm. When designing for artificial intelligence and empathizing with users that you mentioned a few moments ago as well, You must Mm -hmm. also consider the future AI-human partnership Mm -hmm. you want to build and the future you want to see. Mm -hmm. The question that I have for you there, Saurav, is how can we as designers establish the project's needs while simultaneously defining the artificial intelligence capabilities you aim to use and determining if they are currently mature enough to use? Got it, Rohit. Rohit, that's a little bit of a tougher question because I have not dealt quite deeply into uh, machine intelligence yet. But I'll just tell you again from a human perspective, right? There's this beautiful book, Human Plus Machine. And it talks a lot about how machines can assist humans and how humans can assist machines, right? Um, Would we have a humanless future? Well, totally depends on how we go about it, right? But for cases where the volume, frequency, variety of data, and the patterns being very subtle. Whenever you face cases like this, I believe it's very interesting how you employ uh, artificial intelligence and uh, you know the other technologies on machine learning or deep neural networks, for example, to go about those, right? As designers, I believe AI really opens up the doors to being imaginative, Rohit. Um, imagine this, right? Let's say that I say, um, hey, you know what, I as a designer, I'm going to create a particular widget that's supposed to give the user the right information at the right point of time. Now, this is really imaginative, fantastic for the designer, but someone has to take the complexity, right? 
And Tesla's laws says that someone has to take the complexity, whether it's the user, it's the engineer or the designer or the system. And I believe if the system takes it, it really, really lowers the burden of the engineer and the user. And that's where I believe AI, ML, neural networks, all of these pieces put together really, really come to our help, right? They really become appendages for us to be more imaginative and more lofty in our ways of thinking for humans. Absolutely well said, Saurabh. In fact, we live in a time of rapidly growing technology. The another era that has got added on to this, this entire element is the era of virtual reality. Mm-hmm. It has influenced how people and businesses communicate and engage with one another. Mm-hmm. Technology should be used to its greatest extent and regularly improved to provide the best possible experience for all stakeholders. Mm-hmm. The question that I have for you there, Saurav, is what are some of the disruptive innovations in the telecom business and how may they be improved? Uh, Rohit, I'm a little, honestly, I'm a little iffy about it because, you know, like we talked about in the first question, there is evolutionary and revolutionary evolution, right? Um, and innovation, right? And I, I really believe that both of them are interesting and very important. So telco is a lot about under the hood improvements, right? Telco as an industry, as a domain itself is very tech oriented. And what we do is we look for adjacencies and we look at the adoption of technology instead of just foraying into some things, foraying into something that's the new shining and latest, right? When we look at adoption, that's our way to include a larger audience and to give a telco customer more value at the edges, right? At the fringes, at the grassroots. So for example, think about fiber to the home, FTTH, right? Um, Most of the best cities have it, but look at the adoption in the far reaches. Uh, This is somewhere we're going to. And really Geo in 2016 broke records and it really helped the entire customer base by pulling them into the telco divide, right? Um, talk about sub-gigahertz spectrum, for example, which is using lower frequency, higher uh, wavelength uh, airwaves that allow for deeper penetration into your homes uh, without you know, causing an interference. And this is something that will give people a lot more of connectivity from thicker, from inside thicker walls, et cetera. Or you can think about IoT, which is something that will be really, really bolstered by 5G, right? Something that we really recently signed up with Tata and Qualcomm. So Etel, very honestly, was the first telco in India to demonstrate 5G over a live commercial network in Hyderabad. But then again, these things, right, I believe is something that they will go ahead, they will get adopted and adoption is very, very important to us. And and not just going into the new technology, talk about Wi-Fi version 6, talk about mesh networking, talk about using data to visualize and solve customer problems through satellite imagery more efficiently. These are things that, uh, you know, somehow, I'm not sure what your definition of disruptive is, but for us, it means the world. And Saurav, here is my last question for you. At Avantika University, we follow this philosophy of coaching the next breed of talent on the theme or the philosophy of designering, Mm -hmm which is the blended approach of design and engineering. What's your view on this philosophy? Do you think it's, 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 it's an interesting value proposition out there? Do you think both these worlds mm-hmm. actually merge uh, or converge at a common point? Rohit, <laughs> that's a beautiful portmanteau of the two words. 
Um, but you know what? More than just the word itself, I kind of like what you were trying to do there, right? You're trying to exactly build or rather take the design aspect and put a more, um, how should I say it, more implementation perspective of engineering to it and make sure that it becomes tangible, right? Um, if you really look at the movements that have been going on, the whole makers movement, if we might want to talk about it, it's not just about conceptualizing, but also creating, right? That's where the term engineering comes from. Ingenium meaning cleverness or uh, to contrive, to device, right? So I believe you are on the right path, but the deeper meaning of this is not just to think, not just to conceptualize, but to bring it to fruition, to bring it to reality. No design is done until it's been tested and consumed and it has given some sort of outcome. So your heart's in the right place with that particular word, Rohit. Thank you, Saurabh, for validating our philosophy and doing the show with us. I'm sure that our listeners will have a lot of learning from this conversation. And we thank you again for joining us on, the, on, on, on our show. Thank you so much, Rohit. It was lovely and thank you for such amazing questions. Hello everyone, welcome to our new segment where we host a startup design studio every month. And this month we bring to you Amir Khan Patan Studio. And we have along with us the founder of the studio, Amir Khan, who will share his journey. Hello Amir, welcome to MIT Designering Series. It's an honor and pleasure for us to host you on our show today. So Amir, can you take us through your journey? How did all of this thing happened. How, how, how did you stumble into the world of design and starting a design studio of your own? Hi, Rohit. Thank you for having me on the MIT Designing Series. Being an MIT alumnus, it's a great honor for me to be a part of the show initiated by MIT Group of Institutions. During my college days at MIT, I got inspired by my design faculties and the seniors after looking at their work and thought processes. After finishing my self-initiated graduation project, I challenged myself to deliver unique designs through my independent design studio. It's been an interesting ride for me from helping not only startup studios to build their brand from scratch, but also the established companies to help them retain their brand presence. American Patan Studio has more than four years of experience in the graphic design industry, specialized in branding and illustrations. We are experts in creating graphics that directly speak to your audience. I always believe well-designed graphics speaks better than words alone. So far, I have learned a strong logo is the beginning of a company's branding and conveys your business vision. So how can you make a unique and timeless design for the brand to stand out in this competitive world? There are three features we always try to incorporate in designs, which are simple, relevant and memorable. I feel that's how you can create a lasting impression. We love to work on rebranding projects where you have the challenge to come up with a completely new strategy that also should work with your existing branding. So far, I have enjoyed working with various brands for their brand building and hoping to continue it in the future. Wow, Amir, that sounds really interesting. One of the other things that we would want to know is what are the kind of specific customers that you serve? Well, whoever thinks there is a need of a design for their brand are our clients. Uh, most of the clients are from the food industry, such as FMCG companies and restaurants. Nowadays, we have seen people are taking design seriously and considering it as one of the pillars of their brand. 
Looking at the competitive market, we help brands how they can come up with better products that are more brand focused and can easily compete. Most of them are family run businesses where they don't think there is a time for a change. I feel it's a need for them to think about their brand repositioning. In the current scenario, there is a huge demand for packaging design and we have seen that the client expects design to be unique, catchy and how it can easily compete in the market. For restaurants, we offer brand environment design which helps them to create a brand presence within the space. It actually helps customers to understand more about the brand offerings and ethics. Currently, we are working with the manufacturing industry to help with the brand environment design where they want to highlight their brand's legacy. Building a brand from scratch is an amazing process where most startup companies come in. It gives the complete freedom to think from every possible direction to build the brand. It is like shaping a client's vision into a visual form. Well, that's exciting, Amir. And we look forward to interacting with you this entire month, talking more about design, your journey, uh, the kind of work that you've done and much more. Hey there, we hope you enjoyed our show. Do write to us on ads at the rate avantika.edu.in. We look forward to your opinions, feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show. Do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hubhopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. Twitter.